Buenas and welcome to the Dear Gorgeous podcast. We're your hosts, Akina and Jelena, two Micronesian and Asian women from the beautiful island of Guahan. And we're on a mission to share the stories of inspirational Asian and Pacific Islander women from around the world. Before we jump in, and in any effort to empower you, our audience, in being able to choose what type of information you'd like to take it at any given time, we wanted to let you know that within this episode, there may be what some would consider graphic depictions of violence and sexual violence, childhood trauma, and discussion of mental illnesses. It might be a lot to take in, so if you need a breather, take a break, listen to our other episodes, or come back later. Without further ado, enjoy episode 39 with Chelsea Cruz. Okay, I'm super excited because we haven't had a gorgeous guest in a while. So thanks everyone for sort of sticking by us. But um, we waited for a really good reason because now we have a pretty cool and amazing gorgeous guest, we have Chelsea Cruz, who you might know as Guam Social Progressor. So she is a multimedia creator who started quite a few conversations online around her content that that involves different social issues our communities face, like multi-generational trauma. So Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here on the Dear Gorgeous platform. I appreciate all of you guys are doing out there, providing us a space to share our stories, and I'm excited to share with you all. Thank you for joining us. When we wanted to bring Chelsea on our platform, we were just watching your the content um, that you've been posting, including your video series that we're going to talk about a little bit later on your Instagram. That I love, love, love. Um, so I guess um, if you wanted to share a little bit about your story and like what got you into like this line of work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, I was born and raised on Guam. I'm from the village of Ordot, and oh my gosh, forgive me, y'all. I want to make sure that I give land recognition to where we are recording right now. So I'm actually in uh, Kumiye territory, also known as San Diego, California. Um, I've been here for like about 10 years, uh, 11 years uh, with my experience uh, uh, moving to the United States. Uh, I left Guahan when I was 18 years old. Um, So I was still very, very young. And um, my mom and my siblings decided, made the choice to leave home after my grandparents passed away. Uh, My mom wanted to see any other opportunities that we can have out here. And, you know, yeah, I didn't really, I was sort of excited to explore America, but now that I'm a little bit older, I really see how unfortunate that is and how it kind of often happens often where a lot of us leave after, um, you know, our family passed away and sorts like that. So yeah, the language of like adverse childhood experiences and, and child development sorts like that, I actually didn't even know there was a whole world of education out there in regards to these experiences that we go through. Obviously, we know there's education out there, but just growing up on Guam, it's just very minimal. Um, 
so so that's uh, when I came out here to America I started going to school and I started studying in like early childhood development sociology and psychology and that's how I sort of started to tie these links in that a lot of the experiences we gone through was sort of yeah like that amazing and um on your podcast or also on your platform, you ask this question to the audience and like, what does social progress mean to you? And I want to kind of ask you that question as well. Woo! Yes, girl. Grip. <laughs> Jumping right into it. Yes, jumping right into it. I love that. So the definition with social progress is just providing the basic needs and necessities for people like clean water, food, education, and housing. So I thought that was super cool. But the thing is, a lot of people like don't really like know the term of social progress or what that would look like, even though we do it every single day. So for me, in another um kind of like lens of social progress on top of, you know, clean water and a safe housing, I wanted to see what social progress would look like in um, a social sense. So for me, it, it looks like um, being compassionate and caring and understanding to the social issues that we face, because although some of us may go through the same experiences, and although some of us are educated with psychology or sociology or whatever it is, everybody's experiences is unique to its own. And even though, again, we know because we went through these experiences, we still want to be compassionate and understanding to people because everybody takes it a different way. Um, so yeah, that would be my definition is uh, compassion, understanding, love, care. Um, kind of piggybacking off of what Akina was asking you about what sort of led you into this line of work. What would be like a sort of a personal anecdote for yourself that sort of taught you that core lesson of making those connections between your traumas and some of these habits that you have? And um, like what sort of led you to be in a space where you could have compassion for others that were dealing with these things? Oh, it's going to make me cry, Gina. <laughs> um, so yeah, as, as you guys know, like living on Guam, right, we talk a, a lot about like the war and militarization and, you know, oppression and sorts like that. But those big words, um, a lot of us don't know. And we just look at it as like, this stuff that we're going through. So I have to say that, you know, growing up with my grandma and um, the women in my family, has like been so empowering to me ever since I was a little kid because they're always so helpful and um, there's this thing as well that I see in my grandmother where you know she's like even though this soldier has hurt me or did wrong to me I'm still gonna be kind to him because out of maybe my kindness even though he hurt me will reflect on him stopping him to hurt somebody else before I came out here to America and I started studying psychology and sociology, I was already a psychologist and a sociologist as a little kid in the village, just being there and being present, watching experiences and, and watching like behaviors to see like maybe if my friend is acting differently and something might be going on with her or if my guy friend is like being more angrier than usual um 
and it kind of draws to the beauty of indigenous people being doctors and scientists or sociologists and all these big fancy words before these words became these labels because we depended on our intuition and our body you know to just be better people and again like I know it's not the easiest job to do but um we're in very difficult times right now, but also very beautiful times because there's a lot of change and there's a lot of goodness coming on. Uh, so it's just going to take all of us, you know, just being loving and caring to one another. So, yeah, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> I don't think you could put a larger emphasis on kindness, though a lot of people that I can relate to as far as things that I've gone through growing up, I think one of the main things that I've dealt with that I've sort of had to constantly heal and reheal as a as an adult now is this like overwhelming anger and rage that I have and um that when that kind of takes over it's very hard to be kind yeah because it's almost like getting back into like it it feels like in my head like I am not safe and I am in danger and somebody here is like trying to hurt me and you know what I mean and then when you look back at it it's like oh shoot like I was actually being there's something I'm I'm an angry person so um I don't think that you can put a larger emphasis on kindness and like how do you think someone can foster more kindness in their life when they're struggling with something like that with me today I try to see if there's any way where I can um, transmute that energy. And and that's like being an alchemist, right? It's like taking that hatred and transforming it into like compassion. You know, nine out of 10 times when people are being like really, really messed up to you and you like transmute that into like understanding and compassion, even if that understanding and compassion looks like walking away. I'm kind of curious to know why is it so hard to talk about these things? And how much of that is rooted into our culture upbringings of not being able to speak openly about our emotions and our, our feelings and our pain? Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I just want to say before I respond to the question that I'm too, I too am still learning, growing our history, learning and growing within our history to understand the effects that are happening today from history. So where I'm at today, I really believe that it it's everything has to do with uh, the trauma uh, rooted into uh, rooted into our experiences culturally. But I believe that it's because at least for me and my personal research and where I'm at right now, I reflect back to the war and I'm still learning about a lot of those experiences in the war. I, I utilize Google, but I really like to learn straight up from people's stories or from the Chamorro books or from the Micronesian books or poets, poems or anything like that. Um, so I think a lot of it was really rooted, again, from my uh, research and understanding from the war, because from my understanding, our grandparents and great-grandparents were silenced through many different things. Uh, they had to do things that they didn't want to do, and they had to do things the way that, you know, um, the, the occupiers wanted them to do that. And that really takes a toll on our bodies and and our minds and our hearts too so it, it really like turned us to be angry to say like oh because they did that to me 
I'm, or my parents, I'm going to do it to people too, because it's so normalized. Um, and then it takes a lot too to say, yeah, they did that to us, but I'm not going to do that to their children or to, you know, Japanese people or Spanish people or whatever the case is. So, so it's a lot of normalization of that. It's the normalization of throughout generations, that silence, silence, you know, in our grand, great grandparents, silence in our grandparents. And if you talk, you're, you're hurt in some way or another. And then it manifests into my mother's life and her not knowing how to communicate these things. And then because of that, it manifests into my life and me not knowing how to communicate with these things until someone is strong enough and ready to be like, you know what, like that's enough. And so I sort of look at myself as that person, um, you know, I see that like this generational curse breaker and, and trauma curse breaker is sort of like a trend and a buzzword now is really a lot of work and it, it's a real thing. It's not just like an Instagram post. And that doesn't mean, you know, just like stopping these like toxic behaviors or, or moving away from your family and that's it, it ends there. That means like ending drug abuse, in, in, you know, in the youth at a young age, ending sexual violence within the family, ending uh, obesity. But yeah, I, I definitely believe it's a generational thing. And that's another reason why I'm very uh, passionate in uh, intergenerational traumas, because just like a house is passed down or just like, um, um, you know, whatever is passed down, uh, uh, riches or whatever is passed down through generations, so are these experiences. So what, what was the part of your story that you wanted or you feel is valuable to share um, as part of your work? Yeah, definitely. So, so when I was five years old, I went through child molestation and it happened in the household meaning that it happened with a person that was involved in the family. I want to be very conscious to how I'm sharing. I'm no longer going to silence myself, but I also want to amplify that, you know, me sharing like my experiences is not to like put anyone out in blast or to shame anyone or to make anyone feel bad. This is my life's work. And if I'm encouraging others to be honest and compassionate and understanding within themselves, I need to do the same thing as well. But uh, it's not about like shaming or anything, but it's about speaking up because a lot of us go through these experiences and we need to start humanizing just talking about it as we do any other conversation. Uh, so yeah, I, I went through child molestation when I was in between like five to seven years old. I say five to seven years old because my memory is a little like on and off around that time, which obviously because of this traumatic experience, uh, because it was at a young age, I didn't know how to use the words like he hurt me or you know, that I was going through something. So I pretty much silenced myself and I sort of put it at the back of my mind. And I also want to share that, like, as I'm sharing all this wisdom and like education, that I had a really hard time up until three, four years ago to actually say this. So I want to reflect on that for anyone that's listening, that it's going to take a long time for us to open up and to start sharing. So yeah, I silenced myself for a long time when I was a little kid. And I started acting out, of course, trauma one-on-one in different ways, like in school or um, emotional distress. And when I got to middle school, that's when everything just started like going out because I was in my teenage years and my adolescent years. Um, so I started getting into a lot of fights in school. I started getting suspended a lot. Um, I started skipping school a lot actually ended up in Department of Youth Affairs, DYA on Guam. 
which um, much love and appreciation to the Department of Youth Affairs and Child Protective Services on Guahan. Right now, they're actually struggling with a lot of different things. There's a lot of kids who don't who uh, are actually unaccounted for, uh, meaning they're in the system, um, but they don't know if they're in an abuser's house or they don't know if they're homeless in the streets. So yeah, I ended up in Department of Youth Affairs, and then I actually ended uh, ended up getting uh, kicked out of school. So I get I I, I got dismissed from school because uh, at a certain age, which was 16 years old, after a certain amount of absences or a certain amount of like whatever the case is, they sort of consider you a delinquent and just like put you out just like that. So because of that experience, that's sort of like everything else that happened from there. I feel a little bit more confident and comfortable to talk about that experience now because I've actually admitted to myself that this did happen. I also admit to myself the behaviors that I did after that as well, which was because of this sexual violence experiences, I actually experienced incest. And so I was having sex at ages that I wasn't supposed to be having sex. And it was very hard for me to talk about incest because it's an embarrassing thing. It's not something that you want to talk about. And then also it's like, you don't want to like put shame on your family or your close friends or whatever the case is. But I really want to talk about this because this is more than normalized in other areas around Micronesia in other small islands where it's happening at a more younger age and a more younger age. But for a long time, I felt very, very shameful. And that's why I say that shame and the guilt around those experiences as well. As I started growing up, I started accepting that that wasn't my choice. That I feel that my body was responding. It was like a trauma response. And I was almost giving myself to boys that I wasn't supposed to be giving myself to and boys that also knew that this wasn't the okay thing to do, um, but we still did it anyway. For a long time, again, I really held a lot of shame and guilt around that and a lot of fear around that. But I, I'm healing a little bit more to admit and to say that um, I was giving up my body, uh, even not consciously like making a choice even though I made the choice to lay down even though I made the choice to you know allow this person or whoever to pleasure themselves I admit that it still wasn't something that I consciously was aware that you know like hey you need to stop doing that that was a big layer for me to go through because I felt really really hurt of why I continuously did that um and I had to recognize and I had to realize that it was just, it was a pattern. It was a familiar pattern in my body. And that's like this book, it's called Trauma Holds the Body. It's a really great book as well. But it was a response in my body that I was just like, this is okay to do. And you're just going to go ahead and do it. And the hurtful thing is like, you know, I didn't find any pleasure or I wasn't looking for it. It was sort of like, if it happened, it happened. Um, so I was really, really, really sad about that, that I went through that experience, that I both also made that choice to continue to go through that experiences, along with teaching it as well. So there is a lot of shame around there as well. There's a lot of guilt around there as well. Um, experiencing sex and teaching, you know, sex as well to, to people that were younger to me as well. 
but but that's that's where I'm at right now and I'm still learning and I'm still growing so yeah that's a little bit about Chelsea guys well before I even respond to that thank you for sharing um that part of your story that's I can see you know what would drive you to talk about these issues I mean it's it's hard growing you're it's hard to grow up as a child and you don't realize when you're a child that you are a child, you know? Um, there's, wow, I think I think that you're gonna touch a lot of people sharing that, yeah. more people than you think. Um, Absolutely, yeah. thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, as you were sharing your story, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm getting like, I just, yeah. I just, I mean, I, these issues have been very rampant in in the families that I grew up in, and um, there is just so much shame, so much shame, and it's a very scary thing to grow up as a child and feel like you're doing something extremely wrong, but not really have the vocabulary yep. or the resources or even a safe place to talk to somebody about it. You know, and then couple that with like the shame, of, just like the automatic shame around just like religion, being told like what sex is, you know what I mean? Like, because there was no, I mean, for me, there was no shortage of um, sort of like the demonization of sex, you know, and our biological urges. And, um, you know, like I, and you're right though, that, that it's a very, this is a, this topic is definitely something that takes years to sort of even digest and then be able to talk about openly. And I just think that you're very brave for sharing that. And I, again, like would like to affirm that they, I, I personally know that it's very common. Like those issues are very common within our communities. And um, yeah, it's a shame. It is very much the shame. But that is sort of one of the ways that we can, I guess, destigmatize those words and those experiences is by talking openly about them. And I think one of the biggest things that I feel like your content teaches us and what you do teaches us is how to love ourselves again, even after feeling that much shame, even after feeling uh, the rage and any type of blame, but like really that journey back to finding the part of yourself that is lovable, that can continue to give love to others is um, is something that I definitely get from your content. And, and we definitely need that more. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And I just wanted to say to close out that question, or if you guys had any more about that question, I'd love to share as well. Um, but I just wanted to briefly say as well, um, because I experienced sexual violence at such a young age, I really put it at the back of my mind. And it's almost as if like, I literally like forced myself to forget about it, right? But then those other behaviors, when I started getting older, started happening. And I, you know, 
So I now that I am writing again, because I stopped writing for a very, very long time at a young age, a lot of that had to do with my negative experiences with school, because writing was like my everything. It was like my first language and like my first love. But I'm, I'm now writing as an adult to say that I don't really think that a lot of my pains even came from the experience of being like molested as a child. I think a lot more of my pains and my shames and my grief come from those behaviors that were created thereafter, like having sex at a young age and specifically doing it to other kids as well. Now, that was a very hard thing for me to kind of process because I was telling myself that I too violated somebody else. And when I started growing up, I had to be compassionate with myself. And I was very, very guilty to even think about compassion because I actually did it. But I had to be honest with myself to say that that, that wasn't violence, like you experienced violence. That was a learned behavior that both of you both parties thought was okay. Um, so for a long time, I was like, no, I continued it. I, I showed it to somebody else when you shouldn't show it to somebody else. Um, but yeah, it was just so normalized. And again, you know, G, like you said, it, it very much is, especially within, you know, the, the family setting, unfortunately. And then again, like, you know, teenagers, adolescents experimenting, not knowing the right education and not having those right. And of course, it's like, yo, that's that's not OK. That's that's not OK. Right. But then it's like more than that, because it's like if you don't know the effects, the education, the, the information behind it, and it's just something that you think it's OK, it's just going to continue to happen. So, so yeah, I carried that for a long time, but after some time I had to forgive myself and I had to let myself know that um, even though it wasn't okay that we were doing these things, it's not the same as what happened to me. And that, you know, what I'm doing now is, is changing that. Like we said again earlier, alchemizing that by me being very, very brutally honest, even though it's very like, you know, it's this shameful thing to talk about, or, or it's, um, you know, it's, um, you know, embarrassing thing to talk about, but it's not, I don't really feel it's shameful anymore. And I don't want to be like, oh, I'm not ashamed. But I'm to the point where it's like, no, we're transmuting this shame, and this fear into being honest with ourselves and honest with each other, so that we can like, process these things and go through these things. So we can make actual change. I, Wow. Um, it's amazing what space could do and a community could do, I think. Um, because you shared your story and a lot of these kind of came up for me in, in all transparency. Um, so I kind of came out that I was sexually assaulted in 2020. And it made me realize that as a listener, we also are a participant in the collective healing. And um, because these terms like rape and molestation, I'm getting so emotional, I can't even say the words right now. Um, because we're not destigmatizing these words, we don't know how to carry on these conversations with the people that we love most, like our parents. And um, I remember 
that like you Chelsea like I suppressed it for so long and then it translated into my behaviors and I was constantly drinking and smoking and I shoved it in so deep that I didn't tell my parents or I didn't tell my mom until eight years later and we're fighting over something really random like coffee and I told myself I would never want my dad to know and I remember someone had told me it's not your responsibility to determine how your dad would react but because of that shame I was like I can't bring this up to my tomorrow dad because it's going to break his heart but it was not my responsibility it's the relationship as his daughter that I would think like if I was a parent and you know god forbid something like that happens to my children I would want to know so I they know that they're loved and they're supported and they're cared for and the reason why I bring this up is also because when I did come out with my story, um, a lot of the people who knew my mom went to her as if it's gossip. And I think when we approach it from that, like, oh, did you know this happened or did you know that happened? We're not collectively healing. We're not holding space for the victims We're not or survivors. We're not holding space for those who are affected. And I think people sometimes forget that as listeners, we also hold responsibility in terms of healing together. Wow. Wow. Like I wasn't expecting to share that, but the power of community and support and like, Chelsea, you're doing such amazing work and we're just so inspired here. And G and R get emotional right here. Dude, I'm, I like, because I've, I've, especially, I mean, Akina and I have gone back and forth about discussing sexual violence on the show. And I mean, it is a very loaded topic. It is a very, it could often be a very polarizing thing. And um, a lot of my work around it has come from sort of studying mostly about gender roles, to be honest with you. And yeah. um, <clears throat> sort of like what we expect from the gender binary. And that work is, has like led me to read a lot about how we could sort of step outside of that and how a lot of people often do without even really thinking about it. And I think the conversation around it is when it comes specifically to Guam or our community, I guess, um, I think we leave out a huge chunk and it has a lot to do with the sexual violence children experience. Um, and when I say children, I mean of all sexes. And it just seems to be a very, the way it's talked about tends to not be very multifaceted when it really is, you know? And like, for instance, like I, I just know, I, I know that it's happened to so many young boys that, have, that are now adults that have literally gone their whole lives and have never been able to talk about it. I've never said it, said it parents. And some of them probably went off to be um, violators themselves, you know, or it manifested in other sens sensational seeking behaviors, I guess is what they would call it. And, and I guess for my personal story too, it's like, I, dang, I don't know. I'm kind of at this point where like I have a lot to share but then it is you kind of start to be conscious of like oh dang I don't want to out certain people or I don't want to yeah. 
I don't want people to feel like I'm talking about them or anything like that. But yeah, that's definitely, it's just, it's very common, these types of things in, in my family. And I, yes, I have personally experienced some crazy shit as a kid and and it was something that I that's why I brought it up earlier it was like coupled with religion like I grew up <clears throat> I grew up in a Catholic home and I was always talked about like oh you know like sex is sex is bad like you do not share your body with with people because your body is a temple and you know and I understand that that concept but I don't think it helped me much in the shame department <laughs> Because, like, that's just the, the natural reality of who we are as well, you know what I mean? Like, that kids and people in general are just going to be naturally curious about sex. And that's currently something that I'm, like, even just breaking down, like, outside of even the trauma work, you know, is talk about social issues and social constructs is, like, is we have very strong social constructs around certain things like sex, like um identity and um and as somebody who has struggled to operate within all of those social constructs comfortably like even just when it comes to being a woman like and what it means to be a hundred percent feminine and what it means to be hot and and sexy and desirable like I've always had a hard time operating within those just that social construct, it can get very uncomfortable, right? Extremely uncomfortable. And even just that, that is enough to sort of paralyze someone into, or send someone into paralysis um, in their life where they just can't function. Like you just, you know, yeah, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't, I don't know um, where to go from here. I don't know what kind of life to build because I don't fit into the, so, the life that society is trying to tell me that I'm supposed to be in. Um, and, you know, again, I think that like um, your work is, in, is important and you're right about <clears throat> sort of, I guess, incrementally letting go of that shame because um, I love the emphasis that you put. That's my favorite word right now. Word of the episode is emphasis for me, guys. But the, um, <laughs> you guys are on mute, but I see it. The, the emphasis you're putting on the body and how, because it doesn't, it takes you, it takes the experience from away from the intellectual part. Because we do sometimes think like, oh, if I'm deciding that this is right and this is wrong, I should be able for the rest of my life to work on those beliefs. But it's, that's not the case because literally our nervous systems are not trained to to do that right away. And so I do think that it's important to remember that the body takes its time. And um, one of the my favorite books I wanted to read, uh, put out there, it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And have you read that, Charles? Have you, have you heard of it? Everybody keeps telling me to get it and I haven't gotten it. So I'm gonna get it. I've read okay. most of it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely a book that I've read um, throughout the past three or four years and it's something I keep revisiting because it's 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 a lot to digest. But basically, yes, he it's one of the first times that I've been able to read um, and it have it well well articulated to me how the body really does log these experiences. And we are the ones who label them as traumatic or not traumatic, I think, and our language and our society sort of tells us 
what's wrong and what's right. But it's just when we decide to, it's like our body continues to experience them over and over again, even though the experience in real time has ended, it explains it so well how our body continues to experience them until we decide differently. And then we start like working with our bodies to, to do that. Is there, are there like any like exercises you, you started to do to train your body to respond differently? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and a prevention answer, a prevention question as well. I, um, on top of like being very compassionate with myself and understanding, it's not just like, be compassionate with yourself, Chelsea. And it's going to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to be kind. Like being compassionate is first of all, like you have to recognize when your body or your mind is going down this negative hill. Um, and then you have to choose to respond, how you're going to respond to that. Um, so being conscious, being conscious of how I teach, how I talk to myself, my ways of thinking, is to start being conscious with your ways of thinking and it's not going to be perfect ever but as long as we're taking those small tiny steps every single time we become aware of you know like oh I'm doing this or I'm doing that as long as we're taking those tiny steps to make those little changes like you said your body is going to start catching up to it your mind and I love how you're talking about the nervous system because that is going to be like my my whole like content and everything it's all going to revolve around the nervous system because a lot of people talk about mental health and and uh yeah mental mental health but i want to start digging in more into emotional intelligence because our emotions are like everything it's our it's our it's it's just everything and it's it's how we live and even though we don't recognize it and see it and i'm still learning so i don't have the words for it as well but our emotions are the ones that just it creates our responses creates our behaviors it creates our experiences and we have the power like there's that saying that we don't have control over everything but we do have control over some things and those are some of the things that we have control over um so to answer the question just being conscious of um you know when we talk about compassionate being conscious of how i'm treating myself how i'm talking to myself and also understanding that like it is not at all going to be perfect and we are not at all going to figure everything out and even after i say this to y'all right now i am still working on it because i could say it so easily and some days i'll also apply it and some days i i'm not gonna apply it so so yeah that's one of the ways that i do that as well and actively making the choice every day just to become better so yeah so before we wrap up with the letter, um, I do have one final question for you, and it's about your series, um, Healing the Little Me, that you're sharing on Instagram. And I love how you talk about healing your relationships, right? And one that stood out was your relationship with education. And it got me thinking, I was like, wow, there are all these other relationships that have yet mm -hmm. to be talked about and explored because we kind of like default to the ones that are more, I guess, broadcasted in a way like relationship with the self relationship with others relationship with money and um, while you're doing your work and like being on this healing journey I was wondering what other relationships have come to the surface that also need a love and healing that you didn't notice before but you notice now as you kind of like dove deeper 
Yeah. Um, that's a really great question, Akina. Woo! <laughs> One of the relationships that I recognize is my inner child. Um, is that little me. A lot of the experiences start at inner child. And it's, it's, it's not, even if you haven't gone through traumatic experiences as a little child, you just, your overall life as a little child shapes the adulthood as well. Um, but we've been talking a lot about the inner child. So I want to switch it up and say that one of the relationships that I've recognized needs a lot more love and care is the relationship with my mom. Um, I had like a really hard time with my mom when I was younger because of what I went through but this is where it gets a little weird this is where it gets a little weird because like again my brain was like this five-year-old brain so I really like let go a lot of things but the more I sit with myself and I visualize and I ask myself what happened your body will start to remember and a lot of it has been manifesting into dreams for me but um my relationship with my mom I was so angry because I was like where was she what was she doing is is she allowing this to happen all these really big questions I'm gonna cry because the baby's right there sorry I'm sorry no 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 you're good you're good keep her there (laughs) keep her there keep her there hi baby (laughs) is I just get super emotional when I see the kids but um yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of it, it was really hard for my mom because I had all those questions, of course. And it's, of course, like, of course, my mom didn't allow it to happen. Uh, where was she? She was a single mother who was working two jobs, three jobs, and had to make a way, you know, somehow, some way. This is why I say compassion and understanding is important. But the relationship with mom, because for so long, even that I'm now healing and wanting to learn myself more, I want to ask my mom more questions and I want to sit with her and talk with her more. But I feel like there's just this big wall most of the times and it sort of like makes me sad. But as I continue to do my healing, I also had to switch my focus and say, well, why it do? Why do you think that there is a wall there? Why do you think that she doesn't want to talk about these things? And then I started asking questions like, well, did she go through some kind of experience, sexual violence experience? Did she either witness it or physically go through it? And even though I am conscious of that, and I, I give my mom more love for that, there are some days where I become the little kid in me and I get sad again. And I get angry again at my mom and I just get frustrated again, all over again after all that healing and, and, and just compassionate within myself. But that's, that's the whole thing with healing and, and, and forgiveness and compassion is it's not always going to be perfect and nobody expects it to be perfect. Like what G said, we're the ones that put these specific expectation and these specific language and vocabulary and, you know, definitions to things. But if we just sort of sit back and really look at it from, you know, an ego's eye view all the way at the top, you know, we'll be surprised to see. So once I started seeing that within my mom, I started asking more questions like, did my grandma go through that experience? Or was she one of the many women who were considered comfort women in the war? And is that where that seed was planted? That silence of the violence happening on us uh, was planted. And then it started rooting and flowering into the next generations and next generations. So 
um, yeah, my uh, the, a relationship that came up with with my mom, and I still have a lot of work to do um, because, of course, when it like I can be a psychologist and have my doctorate and travel all over the world and change so many lives. But when it comes to my mom, when it comes to the family, it's just a different note. It's just a different note. And that's why I have to say compassion, understanding, forgiveness. And it's again, on Monday, Chelsea's going to be compassionate, understanding. And Tuesday, Chelsea's going to be like, mm -mm, not today. On Thursday, you know, <laughs> Tuesday at 8 p.m., Chelsea's going to go back to being compassionate and understanding. <laughs> midnight, Chelsea's going to be like, oh, oh. Not today. <laughs> uh, Thanks for your transparency <laughs> in that. In terms of, it's a roller coaster. It's like. a way. I really agree with you on like it's the hour by hour thing for me. Yep. Like yep. just yesterday, I think I think maybe I would wait. Uh, I waited in the car for too long for uh, my partner Ty. And, like I was in a completely, I was in a fine mood when he got it. He when he left and then he came back. I was like. Where you know, I was like already mad for whatever reason, and I don't even know why. <laughs> and like the stuff that came out of my mouth, he's like, "Okay, there's some hostility here, and we need to, we need to check this real quick." And then, of course, you know, I'm like, mm, "Okay, I'm quiet." And then two hours later, I'm like, "Yeah, yes, Lily, you heard mommy last night." <laughs> two hours later, I'm like, "I'm sorry, you're right. I was." Yeah. <laughs> hour by hour, I think. <laughs> And that's why I say I was very, I'm very glad that you mentioned the nervous system because every hour that we make mistakes and that we learn, our nervous system is going to be getting better and better. Our body is going to be getting better and better. Our conscious is going to be getting better and better at saying, okay, these are definitely the right thing to do. These are definitely the things that I don't want to do or I don't enjoy doing. And in between those up and downs hour by hour, there's going to be a new definition for comp compassion for yourself or for your mom, new definition to, of uh, forgiveness to yourself or to your mom. So it's, it's, it's just humanizing it and just like, just all coming together, um, you know, to, to, to make that, uh, yeah, to normalize that in that sort of like ties me really quick. I wanted to share earlier what Akina was saying um, with uh, gossiping about our experiences, right? And then G also talked about shame in the family and not wanting to out people. And so what I got right now with that, like what came into my intuition was like, that's why the generation today, which is the millennials, and I def I feel like we're all millennials here, I think. Um, yes, represent. Yes, okay. Hey. All right. Elder, elder millennials, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. So that's why I think that our generation today, because um, the way I look at it is I look at it as like, our grand, our great, our nana and our, our great grandparents and our grandparents, right? They're the ones that were experiencing the war, and they're going through that war. And then our mothers and fathers, they're the children who um, have parents that experience this traumatic experience like war. And then there's us, which is the grandchildren, where it's like two generations later, where it's it's been two generations since the war, but we're still having these effects of the war. But now in this time, we have so much more education, so much more normalization of mental health, so much more normalization education about trauma and it reaching these spaces where it's never been. So I really feel like um, 
the whole like gossiping and not wanting to shame people and stuff. I really, I, I think what we need to do is switch the belief of like, or the mentality, like, I don't want to shame people to, I can still talk about these experiences without, you know, the need to, to put shame onto anybody anymore. So like, for me, like, I don't want to say names. I don't want to like get into like specific things. If it's for somebody else, if it's me, I'll get specific. If it's somebody else, I won't really get into it. So that way, you know, just for everybody's comfort or whatever. Um, But just switching that from like, outing people to like we can still talk about these experiences without doing all of that and if somebody wants to out somebody or or be super like transparent and give all the details then okay cool I I just wanted to share that and the millennials are in a specific time so I'm so grateful that we're still in a time we uh, most of us were in a time where technology wasn't there yet and we can still get a little bit of the old school but still the new school yes I think I think we're all born in such a pivotal moment I think and um like Gia and I mentioned the work that you're doing is paving the path for generation and generations to come to be more open and build this community amongst themselves and hopefully inspire them to do work as well uh yeah so before we close off we have a letter <laughs> that was written by our previous guest I believe G sent it to you. So if you don't mind reading it out loud too. Kind of. Yeah, our, our previous guest, because maybe it was what? 2020. <laughs> it was like pre-pandemic or maybe like early pandemic. And again, thanks so much for sticking by us for the past yeah. couple of years. But I just feel like this is also just confirmation that we waited just a the right amount of time like and this is perfect alignment um but it was um chloe babata yeah yeah she wrote this letter two almost two years ago and chelsea go for it all right so dear gorgeous i hope you are finding space for stillness for connection for groundedness while everything we know is changing these are weird and sometimes dark times to be living in but there's still room for light (laughs) all right um i found that dear gorgeous is a space for connection laughter healing and light a good conversation with compassionate and beautiful souls is hard to come by especially while we are stuck in place akina angelina have made me feel so valued and supported especially at a time when i feel stagnant and uncertain about the future i hope your cup feels as full as mine did after my time with them I hope you're able to shed some of the heaviness of this time while you share space with the woman of Dear Gorgeous. Your light is magic and the world is a brighter place because of you. With love, Chloe. All right. Always. Always. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm crying for anybody who's listening. (laughs) And you can't see us. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, I very much resonated with this letter, um, specifically with the stillness and the connection, again, with a lot of the healing, like this video series. Um, I started off doing a 21-day video series, and I'm actually going to post a video today that I'm shortening it to a 14-day series because I did not um, expect the heaviness that was going to unload 
off of these videos because when I make the videos and the content that I make, I try my, sometimes I do just put it out there, but I try my very best to apply it to myself. So for an example, when I was talking about the loss of my godmother, I had to sit down with myself and I had to reflect when I was writing down what the content was going to be in Google Docs, I was like crying so much like I've never cried before. I was saying details that I forgot about, um, memories that I forgot about that was coming up and it was very, very heavy throughout this series. I was very, very tired because I was crying a lot. So I had to do a lot of resting, um, a lot of stillness, like Chloe says, and a lot of groundedness as well. Um, going outside, sitting in the sun, going in nature, or just doing meditation. So I love this letter reading series, dear gorgeous ladies, and you guys got to keep it going. Oh, thank you. This is this was also a treat for us because we never read the letters. So every time yeah. we hear it, we're like blown away yeah we don't we don't read them we wait until they're read to us so yeah uh, and they're always just so amazing <sighs> yeah we wanted um i guess before we close out um did you want to share your social handles and what projects are going to be coming up for you next yes thank you for allowing me to share uh, my platforms where people can still uh, continue to support me and allow me to share the projects that I have coming up as well. Um, so my Instagram is at Guam Social Progressor, just as it sounds. There's a dot in between Guam Social Progressor. And I know it's long, but our um, attention span is a little bit shortened these days. So I'm trying to challenge y'all, okay? Uh, Guam Social Progressor. And that's my TikTok as well. Um, I have a podcast, which is called the Social Progress Podcast. You can find that on Spotify and Anchor. And I'm trying to get it on the other platforms as well. As far as some projects coming up, I'm currently doing a now changed 14 day video series called Healing the Little Me. And in this video series, I am sharing some of the adverse childhood experiences that I went through um, from birth all the way up until 18 years old. I didn't want to just leave you guys with those experiences. So I also share some very basic education and awareness, uh, textbook education on traumas, early childhood traumas, the effects on mental, emotional health, physical health, a lot of the different manifest manifestations that come, fr come from traumas. And uh, I guess this is like the first space that I'm mentioning it here. I didn't even mention it on my Instagram as well. So I'm actually uh, creating a zine for the video series. So a zine is sort of like a short magazine and it's super awesome. And the thing about this is you can create however you want to. You can talk about whatever you want to. And I definitely need to look up the history of uh, zines, but I believe that it was created back in the day as a way to fight against, um, uh, somebody's gonna correct me if I'm wrong, but fighting against technology and the internet and being silenced about specific things on the internet, which I thought was a very, very cool thing to do. Um, so I still have a lot to learn about zines, but I'm doing that uh, to share with all of you guys. You guys will be able to purchase it once I uh, put it out there. And in 2022, I'm gonna start talking a little bit more about my story in detail, as well as inviting other people to come onto the podcast to share their stories as well. So each time I do an episode, I'm going to create a zine 
specifically on that topic. And in the zine is where all the detailed information is going to be. So y'all can look out for that. And other than that, uh, in 2022, I plan to continue uh, healing the inner child, connecting with the inner child, showing love and compassion uh, to myself so that I can show it to our Chamorro people, our Micronesian people, and the world. So thank you. Awesome. Amazing. Oh, we're really work. looking forward to that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Thank That's you. awesome. And um, don't worry, we're going to include all her handles in the show notes below. So yes. if you guys, if you guys are driving, don't worry, we got you. Yeah. All right, Chelsea, this is great. Thank you yeah, so thank much. Thank you. Yes, That's thank you for joining us. Yeah. Yes, I appreciate it too. Thank you guys for having me. I look forward to it and I look forward to doing the letter for the next speaker as well. Yay. All right, guys. Sorry, Lily wanted to say bye. (laughs) Okay. All right, so that's a wrap. And until next time, you guys can follow us on Instagram at Dear Gorgeous Letters and also on Facebook. So until then, adios.